Our scripture lesson is a gospel lesson from Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up. And go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. And I have never disobeyed your command. And yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted cow for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. My name is Andrew Chappell. If I have not met you, I'm the associate pastor here uh, in my third month at Noonan First Methodist. It's good to be with you all. We had a great breakfast over in Parish Hall with the seniors. Uh, Adair and I tried to reach every table, and we made it to six. And so I'm sorry, that's why I was hanging out with y'all at the chapel. I, I feel so bizarre trying to share a word with y'all without knowing y'all. So we did some, I, I did some quizzing back there. Nobody likes Pepsi in this group, just FYI. Just want to let you know. So it's good. We're all good. I have, I've been trying to remember what it felt like to be a senior in high school. I was a high school senior in 2008. So it wasn't that long ago, but it kind of was. Because in 2008, I was trying to think back, The Dark Knight was released in theaters. Any Batman fans? Yeah, it was great. Heath Ledger, Joker. Indiana Jones 4 came out that year. 
That was a not great movie. CERN's 17-mile particle collider had its inauguration, if anybody knows that. Um, I'm a big fan of that. Coldplay was on their Viva La Vida tour. Federer, Federer and Nadal faced off at Wimbledon again for an epic matchup. Tom Glavin was an Atlanta Brave again. Like all was right in 2008. And Miley Cyrus was still a Disney personality. So it might have actually been a long time ago. <laughs> but I'm sure if we compared our high school experiences, minus the pandemic issues, which you all told me was very, made school very boring, uh, but our experiences wouldn't be that different, I don't think. I mean, I remember being excited about post-high school, like all of us were. I remember that some of my friends were excited about college, some were excited about working, some were excited about taking a gap year, whatever they were doing. I mean, I remember thinking that also that the high school friends I had at that moment would be my friends forever. Some of them still are. Two of them are. <laughs> I remember having no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up, still don't. And I remember, <laughs> I remember not caring. I remember feeling generally excited for the unknown, like I had endless possibilities in front of me. I felt like the next few years might determine the rest of my life. But mostly, I remember having very little fear. Now, perhaps a lot probably contributed to that lack of fear, the amount of responsibility I didn't have at that time, along with a number of things and people and places and ownership and control I didn't have, added to the family and friends and church community surrounding me, supporting me, this clear safety net I had at my disposal. Perhaps all of it contributed to that fearlessness. I don't know. I just remember feeling very little fear. Now don't, get re don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I was brave or courageous. I just wasn't afraid of much. And maybe, maybe you guys are in a similar spot. Maybe not, but maybe. I heard a, a quote the other day that went like this. Sometimes there's a direct correlation between fear and age. What does that mean? It means the older you get, the more fearful you can become. Like as you get older and change and acquire and compile and build a life, the more preoccupied you can become with security, protection, anxiety, safety, fear. But right now, where you are, if you're like I was, you are probably at one of the most fearless points in your life. And to be honest, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> because as a relatively recent adult, I'm going to claim that, this is what I've learned. As you acquire your fear can increase. But also, it's sometimes hard to remember that you were once fearless. Sometimes it's hard to remember that. And what I've learned recently is that when we recognize that we've lost some of that drive, man, some of that fearlessness, we want it back. We want what you've got. I led a seminar last year with a friend named Chris who has worked in entrepreneurship for years. And we opened it up to everybody, pre-pandemic, of course. It was three hours devoted to promoting fearlessness and dreams and hopes and vision. And all kinds of people showed up, hoping for some kind of spark to get them back to a place where they were no longer afraid. And Chris asked him this question. What would you do right now if you were not afraid? What would you do if you had no fear? Today, I might even rephrase it this way. What would you do if you had the fearlessness of a high school senior? Some of the answers to Chris's question went like this. I'd do more of whatever gives me joy. I'd go into a different field of work. 
I would take a gap year to better understand kind of where I want to go. I would go somewhere I've never been. I would take more risks. And one more answered, I would never make a decision out of fear. Fearlessness doesn't really last forever, but y'all have a little bit of it right now. Now let me say this. Fearlessness lends itself to risk-taking, but I'm not really telling you to go out and be reckless risk-takers. I'm not telling you to be a lost son where you ask your parents for lots of money, uh, sell all their property, take all the funds, and go to Vegas. Uh, There is such a thing as acting on kind of self-destructive fearlessness, but that's not the kind of fearlessness I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is akin to John Wesley's understanding of grace. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, kind of accidental founder, I think. One scholar coined a term for it, responsible grace. And this is what it means. It means, sure, God has given you mercy and forgiveness and life and love and abundance of blessing. But that's not the end. Because I have a part to play as well. I have a responsibility to share that same grace. I have to respond. Responsible grace. The fearlessness I'm talking about isn't a reckless fearlessness. There is a kind of responsible fearlessness that I believe God calls us to, a fearlessness that kind of lends itself to trusting in God, trusting that there is a narrative being told and that your story is a part of it and that my story is a part of it. But the best part is that even in the reckless fearlessness, even in the self-destructive behavior, such as that exhibited by the son in the story we just read, even in the darkness At some point, we will always have a home. That's the good news. We will always have a place to run back to. And the God that has walked with us every step of the way so far is running out to meet us, always there, arms wide open for the ultimate embrace. And no amount of good or bad we participate in, no matter how reckless we get or how many rules we end up following or not following, nothing can keep the Father from running out to meet us. One of my favorite authors, David Brooks, wrote a book a few years back. I recommend it to everybody. It's called The Second Mountain. It is super, super inspiring, and I can't put it down. And he mentions, Brooks says at one point, that Western civilization has evolved into this hyper-individualized culture that's too often centered around ourselves and fear, with massive distrust. And he says the least neighborliness people have ever been to one another. And this distrust and fear have driven us farther and farther apart. But at the heart of the fear, he says, there are many who have lost the idea that we are a part of some larger story that we can believe in. So the root of the fear is this feeling that there is no story being told with my life. There is no ultimate meaning in my actions and my thoughts. There is no compelling narrative that explains life. But you, seniors... I hope you haven't gotten there yet. Fear, hopefully, isn't one of your guiding principles right now. Honestly, you're too afraid to be, you're too young to be afraid of too much, I hope, and you have been raised in a community, in a church that believes in a common narrative, that believes that God is actually telling a story with my life and with your life. That's what we believe. And many of you, if not all of you, have been raised with that knowledge of the common narrative. You've been raised to understand that life has meaning, that we share a story, and that Jesus came to remind us of that story. 
And in this community, I hope you have been taught that there is always, always, always a loving embrace on its way up to meet you, no matter how far you get. I want to share one story, and then I'm done. When I was six years old, I was an avid bike rider. Who knows how to ride a bike? Who rode a bike at six? Five. Okay. Thanks for your participation. (laughs) I loved it. And not only that, I had gotten really, really good at using pedal brakes on my bike. The bike that had once had training wheels on it, they were off. And I was awesome. I'd figured out how to ride a bike and how to use those pedal brakes. And I don't ever brag. I don't like to brag, but I imagine that my six-year-old self could definitely take your six-year-old self on. And bike rider. I'm looking at you, James Weldon. I don't know why, but I think, I think I could take you. I was that good. I was fearless. I was so good that my parents thought it was time for a new bike. So on Christmas, I received a gift in the form of a new, beautiful bike with hand brakes. It was a neon green. I thought it was cool. Looking back, I don't think it's that cool, but it was awesome. It was neon green and purple. My grandparents are here. They were there when I got that bike. One of one handbrake for the front, one for the back. This was big time. At the same time, my father had recently purchased his first ever brand new car. It was a beautiful forest green Toyota Camry with a tape player and a beige interior. It was immaculate. And, and it just seemed fitting that we would both be getting used to our vehicles at the same time. Now, before I finish, I want to remind everybody in the room of something. Because it's likely that you have forgotten it is somewhat difficult to make an adjustment from pedal brakes to handbrakes. It just is. It's science. Studies have been done. It's difficult. It really is. It's a major life change. Not different from what you're about to do. I mean, it really is. Our, so our driveway was a downward hill that ended at the garage and the house. And I was at the top of my hill, and my father's beautiful vehicle was in the garage. Don't, no, you don't know where this is going. with the garage door up, and I decided to go down the hill. And as I gained speed, fearless, fearlessly, I began to approach the garage. And I pedaled backwards to brake, which, if you remember from earlier in the story, did not work, is not going to work on this bike. I kept moving, and time slowed down. I saw all six years of my life flash before my eyes. <laughs> and I forgot about the handbrakes. And I slammed into the driver's side taillight of my father's brand new car, shattering everything. The sound was loud. And I immediately started crying. Not because I was hurt, but because I was afraid. And in that moment of fear, my father ran outside. He looked at me. He looked at the bike on the ground, and he looked at his car, and then back at me. And he knelt down. He checked to see if I was hurt. And then he wrapped his arms around me, picked me up, and said, it's all right. It's going to be okay. And suddenly, the tears were finished, and the fear was gone. Today is Pentecost Sunday, a day in the life of the church when we remember a moment in time where a bunch of scared friends who had witnessed the death resurrection and ascension of their leader and teacher 
were ultimately released from fear and sent out to tell the world that they had found the way home. True fearlessness exists in the embrace of the Father. And if you ever forget and you feel afraid, simply turn in God's direction and God will always run out to meet you in the hands and feet of this community or of a stranger or in the soft stillness of a deep breath or in the simplicity of an embrace. Seniors, please know that we are proud of you of the people that you have become, of the futures that you have, of the potential and hope that ultimately exists in you. And I hope that you know that you can always run home. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for hope. We give you thanks for new things. We give you thanks for your embrace. God, I pray that as these seniors go through all the senior things they're about to go through, that above all else, they would remember that they are loved by us and by you. Be with them, guide them. And God, I give you thanks for each of their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.